Well, good morning. I am so glad you guys are here today. So, besides being a great Sunday, what other day is it today? It's Super Bowl Sunday. No, it's Groundhog Day. It's Groundhog Day. <laughs> you are right. He he is so smart. <laughs> But we're going to not focus on the groundhog part. We're going to focus on, um, that's kind of an odd holiday anyway, right? I mean, do you give gifts and get together for special meals? No. Uh, Super Bowl, though, you do, right? You get together with your, your uh, friends and family, maybe, and uh, watch the Super Bowl. It's Super Bowl 54. They're in Miami. But I think we've got some great weather up here, too, today. It's nice and warm. So, and we have sunshine, yes. Uh, Kansas City Chiefs and San Francisco 49ers are playing. So, okay, who are you going to be cheering for? Uh, yeah, so none of us have any dog in the hunt, as they say. Uh, we, we can cheer for whoever wins, right? It, it might be a fun game. I'll, I'll turn it on and start if it's not interesting. Um, yeah. So playing American football is what they're doing. There's football in Europe that's actually soccer, and the rest of the world is actually soccer. But what we call football, American football, is what they'll be playing. And, and that game, as we know, um, is passing the ball, right, or handing it off, whatever the quarterback decides to do, to advance the drive down the field to the goal, right? Okay. So think about the game of football. Uh, what would happen if that quarterback hung on to the ball and he didn't pass it and he didn't run and he just stood there with it? What would happen? Tackle. <laughs> right. Sacked. Right. So what if he kept doing that all along? He'd get benched for sure. But I mean, the point of it is what, what would happen on that particular play where he didn't do anything? Nothing. Nothing would happen. They'd just stay right where they were on the field, right? Okay, so that's the thing here. Our, if you came in and saw, or on the bulletin, you saw the new series that we're beginning today is called Passing It On. And we're looking at passing off the mantle of ministry or passing on some of your knowledge, some of your gifts and abilities to uh, your children or to others, to the next generation. It's really talking about leaving a legacy, isn't it? So our, our series, Passing It On, is looking at Elisha and how he took up the mantle of the ministry of Elijah. So let's start with who was Elijah, because if Elijah's passing it on to Elisha, we kind of have to know who Elijah was. And uh, he was a prophet in Israel. He was the one that prayed that God would stop the rain, and it stopped raining for three years, no rain. Then at the end of that time, uh, Ahab, who was the king, and Jezebel, his king's wife, they had both done evil in the eyes of the Lord, especially Jezebel, and so that's why God judged the land. And after three years, uh, Elisha, Elijah pardon me, comes back, and you know the story on the Mount Carmel. They're up there, and there's a duel, right? First, all the prophets of Baal sac sacrifice and go crazy for hours. Nothing happens, nothing happens, and... Elijah keeps saying little things like, oh, maybe he's asleep, or maybe, you know, there's, you know, he keeps telling them little things, and they keep trying to uh, get an answer, and did they get one? No. 
So then finally, Elijah says, okay, let's pour water on this sacrifice. He had restored the altar of the Lord. He had rebuilt it. It had been knocked down because of the evil in the land. They hadn't been offering sacrifices to the Lord. He rebuilds that altar. They put on the sacrifice, and then he says, pour water on it. They dump water on it, and then they dump water on it again, and then they dump water on it again. It's just saturated with water. And then he calls on the name of the Lord, and the fire of God falls on that sacrifice, burns up the sacrifice, the water, and the stones. It was a powerful answer of God. So then he prays that the rain would come, and it does. And the people had said that they were going to return to the Lord. The rain starts coming. As they see it off in a distance, he tells the king, you better get going. And he runs down and runs off that mountain, and the rain begins to, to fall. Okay, so after this, Jezebel um, is upset because he has killed the prophets of Baal. He's had them slaughtered and knocked down the altars to Baal. And so she's mad because she hired those guys. So she says, I'm going to kill you. Elijah gets scared and runs off. And he actually takes a 40-day journey and ends up in a cave, not a cafe, private joke there. Um, I had a little typo on my message. I looked at it and it said that he ended up in a cafe at Mount Horeb and I was like, I don't remember reading that. I don't even remember writing that. But no, he ended up in a cave at Mount Horeb and God spoke to him and told him, look Elijah, you may think you're alone in following God, but you are not. Uh, There are many, many more people whose knee has not bowed to Baal. And then he gave him a task to complete. So let's read that in 1 Kings 19, verses 15 through 21. If you want to go there, we're going to jump then into 2 Kings in a little bit and read about Elisha. Uh, So anyway, at verse 15 of chapter 19 of 1 Kings, the Lord said to him, go back the way you came. He's talking to Elijah and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat from Abel-Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael. And Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. He had a big big team of oxen there. And he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. And then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. Okay, so Elijah was to anoint Elisha to continue the work of the Lord. Uh, Let's pray and just commit this time to God. So Lord, we just thank you for the scripture that will tell us about passing on the mantle of ministry that will show us, Lord, how you um, 
worked through Elijah to anoint and prepare Elisha. Father, we just pray for this time that you just speak to us through your word. Lord God, I pray. Holy Spirit, be in this place. Anoint us, Lord, with your power. And Father, uh, just speak to our hearts. Lord, draw us closer to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So Elisha's name means God is my salvation. And Elijah was to mentor this young prophet and pass on the ministry. So what we learn about Elisha from this passage we just read was apparently his heart had already been prepared by God because of how he receives this cloak, this mantle. And throwing the cloak on him, in the Hebrew the word for cloak is actually more of a mantle. It's kind of like an open robe that prophets and people in ministry would be wearing. And so it's, it's signified by him throwing that cloak around the shoulders of Elisha that he was um, going to succeed Elijah as God's prophet. And Elisha said, I just need to say goodbye to my family. And, and then what he does is amazing. He burns the plowing equipment and, and, and cooks the slaughtered oxen on it. And they have this big farewell party. And then uh, he says goodbye and he becomes the attendant of Elijah. And another word for that, we might say he, he became Elijah's intern, right? He was studying with him, learning from him, following him and learning how to be uh, God's man, God's prophet. So in 1 Kings uh, 20 through 22, as we look at those remaining chapters, uh, we see many years, several years go by, and during this time, Elisha's learning how to do ministry. Like Elisha, he's watching him. There's some miracles that happen, he, and he sees how Elijah hears from God and how he does what God shows him. And if Ahab is still the king at this time, the king of Israel. His wife Jezebel is still the queen. And from, from the end, just to place it for you, from the end of Solomon, who was King David's son, from the end of Solomon's reign until the end of Ahab's reign is almost 80 years. So in this time, these last few years of Ahab's reign is when Elisha is called into ministry. So now let's look at what happens next. We will see that uh, Ahab dies. In 2 King verse 1, it says that after Ahab's death, so he's gone. Um, and then another thing happens, another uh, miracle happens. And then we have chapter 2, and this is where Elijah is taken up to heaven. So let's read that passage, verses 1 through 14. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, As surely as the Lord lives and as surely as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, so be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. The company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, Hey, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied, so be quiet. It's a different group of people saying the same thing. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan. 
And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Fifty men from the company of prophets went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. And when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet, if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. As they were walking along, talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his garment and tore it in two. Elisha then picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. And when he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. The company of prophets from Jericho who were watching said, The spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. So in this passage, three cities are mentioned, Gilgal, Bethel, and Jericho. And all are described, as we've read through them, they're all described as communities where there are prophetic uh, groups of people. There are prophetic groups at each of these three locations. And the day for Elijah and Elisha begins at Gilgal. There's just been a miracle where Elijah had a time of ministry speaking to the king of Israel about his judgment in the days before and told him that he, he would not live and that happened and then we have this. So there's been ministry the day before and then from Gilgal they leave that morning and they go toward Bethel and Elijah says, hey, just stay here while I go. But Elisha has been being trained and he also has this prophetic anointing from God and God had obviously spoken to Elisha about what was going to happen that day. And he knows that God's going to take him and he's not going to be staying behind when he can spend the last few moments with his mentor. And in each location, the prophets are asking Elisha, hey, do you know that the Lord's taking your, your master from you today? And Elisha at each time says, yeah, I know, but don't tell me about that. I don't want to hear about that. I'm focused on some other stuff today. And there's been this close relationship between these two, almost like a father and son. And so uh, it would be sad, it would be difficult for Elisha, who over the past several years has been almost like a son to this older man, and, and learning from him and spending time praying and ministering with him. And to know that God is going to take him would be very hard and, and a sad thing. And I can kind of relate to that because I myself have a spiritual mom, a mentor who is a spiritual mom who mentored me in ministry. And every time we get together, because we don't live in the same place, but every time we spend time together, a, a week or however long it is together, when we both have to separate and go different, you know, our different ways, it's sad. 
it's sad. It's, it's almost a grievous thing because, you know, I won't be with this person anymore. And she's like, she's older than me. She's like, kind of like a mom to me in some ways. Even though she's my mentor, she's also kind of like a mom. And she cares about me and ministers uh, to me as well. And I think that's kind of the relationship that Elijah and Elisha had. There was this a caring, mutual caring for each other and love for each other that God had given them. So they go on from Gilgal. And Gilgal, the interesting thing about these three cities, their significance in each of them, Gilgal was near where the nation of Israel had read the law of God before Israel. And after they had read that, they had gone to the camp of Gilgal and set up their camp. It's besides the Oaks of Moreh, which is where Abram erected his first altar. It's the place of circumcision of the nation before they crossed the Jordan. And Gilgal is also one of the three towns that the prophet Samuel used to administer justice. So Elijah and Elisha leave from there and they go to Bethel. And Bethel, as you know, means house of God. And so it's a well-known and holy place. It's the place where Jacob had his vision of the open heaven of God. Uh, Bethel's where the people went up in times of distress to ask for counsel of God. And it, the Ark of the Covenant was at Bethel for a while. So very significant city. Jericho was the first city. We've been looking at this in our times of Bible study on on Thursday night, one of the nights we looked at this passage. It's the first city taken in the conquest of the promised land for Israel. And it was destroyed, but there was a thing of salvation there with Rahab and her family. And they were saved from destruction. Between Jericho and Jerusalem is where the story of the Good Samaritan takes place. So these three cities, if we look at what they are all significant for, what they speak of is God's law and justice. They speak of commitment to the Lord, of God's presence, and of salvation and healing. And all of these things are involved in having a prophetic ministry. There were significance as they went from the, each of these towns. For Elijah to have a prophetic ministry, he was going to need to have all of those parts in his ministry. So the two men traveled on from Bethel to Jericho and then to the Jordan River. And Elijah here, it tells us, rolls up his mantle, rolls up his cloak, and he strikes the water with it. And it parts to the right and to the left, and they cross over on dry ground. And it reminds me of the time that the children of Israel crossing the Jordan River to come into the Promised Land in Joshua 3, verses 14 through 17. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priest who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing and it piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan, while the water flowed down to the Sea of Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, and was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. So that was a miracle. And this, when Eli, uh, Elijah strikes the water, this is another miracle of God. Uh, they cross over on dry ground. We, and we don't really read in this passage that Elisha says, Whoa! Whoa, I can't believe it! 
because he had been seeing miracles. He had seen God use Elijah to work miracles in God's name. And so for him, he just walks over with Elijah on dry ground. And he had seen God do amazing things already. I'm sure he expected to see some more. Also watching, it tells us in that passage, were 50 prophets standing at a distance. There, Elijah, on the other side of the Jordan, says to Elisha, what can I do for you before I'm taken? And Elisha asks for a double portion of Elijah's spirit. A double portion. And a double portion of his anointing. And this is sort of like what a son would ask a father for his legal inheritance. He might say, Father, give me a double portion for my inheritance. And so what Elisha is asking, he's asking for a spiritual inheritance. He's asking for twice the anointing that has been given to Elijah. And Elijah says, that's kind of a difficult thing. You know, unless you see me when I'm taken, you can't have it. So Elisha had to follow him to the end with his eyes fixed on him. He's not letting him out of his sight. He's finding where he's going. Okay, he's right there. His eyes are fixed on Elijah because Elijah's just told him, hey, if you see me go, yeah, then you can, but otherwise, no. So he's not going to take his eyes off of this guy, right? He's following right along with him because everything depended on it. And that's the same when we ask God to give us an anointing or, or our calling. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus. Hebrews 12, 2 says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. So why should we fix our eyes on Jesus? Well, 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, After all, we who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So as we meditate on the word, as we meditate on Jesus, on his glory, we're transformed into his image and meditate. He's saying contemplate. As we contemplate the Lord's glory, as we meditate on the Lord's glory. And that Hebrew word for meditate means to tell, to recite, or to confess. So as we confess the glory of the Lord, as we confess the word of the Lord, we speak it out. Um, We put to death the lies of the enemy by submitting them to the blood of the cross of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 4.4 says, The God of this age has blinded the mind of unbelievers, so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. See, we are transformed into the image of Christ to be more like him. And by the word of God, by God's glory. So each day what we need to do is commit ourselves, commit our mind to Jesus Christ and break agreement with those lies of the enemy, the things that he uses to attack us, the, the, the stuff that isn't true. And we ask Jesus to fill our mind with his word. We ask him, Lord, fill me up with your Holy Spirit because When we do that, then we can fulfill our destiny. Then we can fulfill our purpose, our calling. So back to 2 Kings 2 and the story of Elijah and Elisha here. They're doing life together. That's what mentoring is. That's what what you have to do to pass things on. So why was it important, do you think, for Elisha to be close by when Elijah was taken up to heaven? 
to obtain the double anointing. He didn't want to miss anything. Yeah, he didn't want to miss it. And leadership can pass on a legacy to those who follow. Elijah could pass on to Elisha because he was following, but not at a distance. Because it's not a distance thing, is it? If you're trying to be, uh, learn how to do life from someone, if you're trying to, to walk in the calling God has given you and someone is, is mentoring you or, or leading and showing you how to do that ministry, you can't do that from a distance. You have to be together. And the 50 prophets standing at a distance, did they get any of the anointing from Elijah? No, they didn't. They saw that Elisha did, but they themselves were standing at a distance. They just saw what happened. They didn't receive the anointing. So as Elijah and Elisha are walking together, suddenly this chariot of fire and horses appear and separate the two of them, and Elijah is taken up in a whirlwind to heaven. Elijah cries, Elisha cries out and didn't see him anymore. And it tells us that he begins a uh, process of grieving. He rips his garments, which is a sign of grief and grieving because he's suffered a loss. The, the man that's been like a father to him, a spiritual father to him over the last several years is gone. He's been taken to heaven. And so he grieves that loss and then he picks up the mantle and goes back to the Jordan. He strikes it with it and says, where now, God? Where now, Lord, is the God of Elijah? What he's saying is, God, did you anoint me to carry this work on, to carry this forward? And as he strikes the Jordan, it again peels back in both directions, and he crosses on dry ground. The company of prophets sees this and acknowledges that God has indeed put his hand on Elisha to continue the ministry of being God's prophet in Israel and Judah. So as we look at this, we see that the anointing of God is now resting on Elisha to do what God has called him to. What does this passage tell us, though, today about how to step into our calling, how to step into what God has for us? So how do we catch that pass? Or how do we take the baton to carry forward the work that God has, has for us? Well, the first thing that we want to do to step into our calling, to receive what God has for us, is don't look back. When Elisha was called by Elijah and he tossed his cloak on him, uh, he basically burned, Elisha burned anything that would connect him back to farming. He burned the plowing equipment, he slaughtered the oxen, he gave it away to other people to eat, and then he left and followed. Uh, we need to be like that, not to look back and to be, like if God calls us on to a new thing, we need to do that new thing and not hang on to something in the past. Because too often what people want to do is save an escape route for themselves. Well, if this doesn't work out, I can always go back. I mean, we see that in the Gospels, don't we, with Peter. You know, Jesus died, was resurrected, but then we see him out fishing. He went back, even though he'd been called clearly away from fishing to ministry, he went back. And we don't want to do that. We don't want to keep one foot in this past thing that we are leaving and not make a clean break into the thing that God has called us to next. Luke 9, 62, Jesus replied. Jesus is talking to his disciples here. No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back 
is fit for service in the kingdom of God. So what's he talking about here? Have you seen anyone ever plowing and they're not looking forward or driving forward? Have you ever seen that? What happens? All over the place. Because when you plow, what they tell you is you find a point on the horizon and drive toward it. Otherwise, what happens is, I mean, even when you're driving a car, right? <clears throat> if you're looking that way and you're not looking forward, what happens to the car? You go where you're looking, exactly. So looking back at all the stuff in the past and being all caught up with that and not looking forward to what Jesus is moving us toward, what's going to happen? We're going to, get, going to get pulled off track of where we are supposed to go. And it's one of those hindrances that Hebrews speaks about in Hebrews 12.1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders you know, including that past stuff that God's called us out of. And the sin that so easily entangles. See, things can not be sinful to hold you back. What we want to make sure is that we aren't allowing the stuff of the past to keep pulling us back, pulling us back. There could be events in your life, things that you've gone through that keep tugging you back, that it's the lie of the enemy, it's the attack of the enemy, and what we need to do is get that cut off, get that killed in us, that root of that thing, and be resurrected into what God has for us. Um, so we don't want to be looking back. We don't want to be held back or hindered by things of our past. When God calls us to a, that new thing, when God calls us, in, even salvation calls us forward, we want to be looking at Jesus Christ. We want to fix our eyes on Jesus. So that's the first thing is don't look back. The second thing we want to do is learn from key people. Okay? Learn from your mentors. Spend time with them. See how they do life. See how they minister to others. And allow them to minister to you. Uh, this isn't done from a distance. You, you can't be committed to the Lord uh, if you, from a distance. It's a thing, a close up and personal, even with our relationship with Jesus Christ. And some of the people that you could be learning from who could be mentoring you would be pastors or leaders in the church. Parents mentor us sometimes. Uh, employers, if they're godly people. And sometimes even if they're not, God can use anybody to show you. Life situations provide those opportunities to learn about following Jesus Christ, too, and developing our gifts. Um, Elisha, in those few years he was with Elijah, I'm sure he learned how to use his gift of prophecy. He desired to be like Elijah. That's why he said, I want double what you have, a double anointing. He was used then of God to speak to the nation and uh, do God's will in his life. But one of the most key people that you need to look to is Jesus Christ, isn't it? Uh, how he ministered. As we read God's word, as we see how, how God worked and how Jesus did things, we can be mentored by God's word, by Jesus Christ as well. So learn from what the Holy Spirit puts in your heart. The third thing we want to do is we always want to have more of Jesus, to always want more of Jesus. Elijah said, I want a double portion. And he was greedy for what God had, wasn't he? He, he wasn't satisfied with just a little and no more. He wanted all God had for him. He said, I want twice what you have. 
He wanted all that God had for him. And in Ephesians, it tells us that we should want all the fullness of God. So whatever God, what, what we want to do is come before God in prayer and say, God, whatever you have for me, I want it all. I don't want to hold back. I don't want to have a, a wall up and say this much and no more. God, I want all you have for me. Isaiah 26, 8 and 9 says, Yes, Lord, walking in the ways of your laws, we wait for you. Your name and renown are the desire of our heart. My soul yearns for you in the night. In the morning, my soul longs for you. When your judgments come upon the earth, the people will, of the world will learn righteousness. See, Isaiah is saying that he wants more and more of God. He's not satisfied that he is where he's supposed to be and that's it. He wants more. He wants to keep developing that relationship with God to have more and more of what God has for him. King David said in Psalm 63, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there's no water. See, he's comparing his longing for more of God to thirst. When you're thirsty, you're, I mean, I don't mean just like you think I want a glass of water, but like say you go for a day without water and you're really thirsty, that is an overwhelming desire. And he's saying, my whole being is thirsty for more of you, God. Verse 2, I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. He wants all God has for him. He wants more of God each day. And is there like a tap out point with God? No, God is infinite, which means there is no end. You can want more and more and more and more, and there's always more of God for you. Paul, the apostle, prayed for the people that he influenced, that they would experience God the way he did. He wanted to leave a legacy of desiring more of Jesus in his life. Ephesians 3, 14, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, God's power, together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And know this love surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That's what we want. We want first to receive what God's called us to. First, we don't want to look back. We don't want to be held back by our past. Second, we want to learn from key people in our lives that God brings in as well as the Lord Jesus Christ. And third, we want to always want, desire more of what God has for us. Today, what is the thing that God is speaking to you about? Is it to stop looking back? Maybe you're trying to live with your past and your present. Listening to the lie of the enemy about who you are today. 
We need to lay that down at the foot of the cross to allow Jesus to put that to death and to resurrect the thing that he has for you as you trust him. Or maybe God's been speaking to you today about fixing your eyes on Jesus Christ. Maybe you've been looking around at too many other things. Fix your eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of your faith, and follow him more closely. To want more of Jesus in your life every day and to make him the priority of your life above anything else. Yes, we have other things we have to do, jobs, family, but our priority needs to be to fix our eyes on Jesus Christ. Matthew 17, 7 and 8. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and do not be afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. See, spiritually, that's what we need to do, to fix our eyes on Jesus and, and see him only when we come before him in prayer, when we read his word. Would you stand with me as we close? So just bow your heads. If, if you're hearing God tell you that you need to lay down the things of the past and put the blood of the cross of Jesus Christ between you and your past, you know, you, the salvation you have in Jesus Christ, to put that cross of Jesus, the blood of Jesus Christ, between you and your past, if you want to do that today, just raise your hand. Okay, thank you. Or maybe God is telling you that you need to fix your eyes on Jesus. You've been looking around too much at your circumstances or yourself, and, and God's saying, I just need you to look to me. And if you're sensing that God wants you to do that, just raise your hand. Thank you. Because that's the only way that we can pass on what we have to others if we're living lives like that. And so... Let's just close in prayer and just ask God to seal this decision. Lord God, we thank you that as we follow you, that we don't want to be hanging on to past stuff. And so, Lord, if, if we need to get some ministry to get free of that, if it's a big deal and, and we need some help, Lord, I pray that we would get that help. And Father, we just ask right now, Lord, that that we take that and we put it at the foot of the cross, that we put that cross of Jesus Christ between us and all that junk the enemy is trying to do to us. Father, I pray that we would focus on you, that we would look to you and not look around at all the junk of the world and all of the circumstances and, and even look within ourselves. Lord, that we would look to you that we would receive your strength, your power, your love, like Paul wrote about in Ephesians. Lord, that we would want more and more and more of what you have for us. Lord God, fill us up with the Holy Spirit each morning as we come before you in prayer. Lord God, and, and just help us, Lord, to have what we need each day. Father, I pray that we would be right with you. And Lord, we want to leave a legacy. We want to pass on what you've done in our lives to others. And so, Father, I pray that we would be encouraged by this today, that we make this fresh commitment to you to do what you've called us to. And we just thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Jesus, in your mighty name.
Amen.